Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Colin Chambers, Bukayo Saka, attention, il est passé, c'est remis sur son pied gauche, Bukayo Saka C'est un festival This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gonna Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right. That didn't sound like a very goodly morning. You just told me you're feeling a bit under the weather today. I think that was evident in your goodly morning. It was a bit goodly morning. I do. I feel terrible. I mean, maybe I'm hungover after the highs of last night. Or maybe... I am unwell, and maybe people will criticise my commitment to the podcast and query whether I am truly unwell, only for me to be later hospitalised by a tropical disease. <laughs> Who knows? If I take you off at 77 minutes and replace you with Andrew <laughs> Allen, we'll we'll discuss that a little bit later. Anyway, look, I hope you feel better soon, and hopefully it's uh, it's nothing, nothing too serious. Uh, I mean, there's a thing, isn't it? What a season, James. What a season this is. It's mental in all kinds of weird, surreal ways. Mm. Is it is it only possible that Arsenal Football Club could progress to the semi-finals of the Europa League to face a team managed by the man who used to manage us before Mikel Arteta and after Arsene Wenger, and it, it all went wrong for that guy. He's doing a pretty good job at Villarreal, while at the same time our captain is struck down by malaria. It... it does feel like something that could only happen at Arsenal. Yeah, just as it feels if we're getting on top of one very dangerous virus, mm. we've managed to contract another within the Arsenal squad. It is uh, it is quite amazing. And I have to congratulate the scriptwriters for this 2020-21 season on coming up with the finale they have. The series was really kind of seemed like it was going nowhere. Mm. But in this kind of Unai Emery reunion and the possibility of a final against Manchester United, they've really given people a reason to keep watching. They sure have. I just have to correct you very uh, uh, quickly here. Malaria is not a virus. Oh, okay. So there you go. It's, uh, it's, I don't know what it is, but I know it's not a virus. So, uh, I suppose that the, the important thing though is get well soon to Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who, you know, I think Mikel Arteta said afterwards that they, they had no idea that it might be this. He hadn't been feeling well for a little while. Some of the symptoms of malaria are apparently quite flu-like. 
So you get fevers and chills and all that kind of stuff, which oh, is yeah. probably why they said, well, we think he has the flu, not expecting that it would be malaria. So look, fingers crossed for him that he makes a full and speedy recovery. And I guess there is some value in, you know, waiting until you get all the information before jumping to conclusions about what might be happening, even if, as football fans, a big part of what we do is is speculate and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I've seen, I mean, yeah, I mean, when, 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 when the news came out that they had, he had flu, that was genuinely what the club believed based on the symptoms mm. that he was displaying. Uh, obviously, he had covid tests like all the other players do and that was clear so you know there was an assumption this must be some sort of other bug that he's contracted um obviously it trans- turned out mm. to be malaria and i think the thing with malaria is it can take sort of up to two weeks to actually turn up you know in right. even when you contract it so it's they didn't necessarily connect the dots straight away to hear international duty in gabon and everything there's another yeah. yeah there's another thing like uh, earlier this season Aubameyang had to sleep for six hours on the floor of an airport this, this, he's had a, I mean, he's had a pretty tough year, all considered. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I don't know he'll ref, don't he'll reflect too fondly on this particular season. But fingers crossed, he's back soon. Mikel Arteta seemed pretty positive about that. He's out of hospital at least, mm. anyway. Um, I mean, it might take him a little bit of time. I remember when Colo Torre uh, contracted malaria in two thousand and eight. He was back playing very quickly, mm. um, but. I think was a little bit short of his best for a period after yeah. that. Um, obviously, it's difficult to know exactly what the kind of causation is there, but we'll we'll see. It definitely makes sense of why he's looked lethargic in his last run out. Well, it sure does. And look, I suppose the one thing you would say is that after a difficult season, and I think he would acknowledge that in terms of his goal scoring and all the other bits and pieces that have been going on, you know, collectively as a team, individually for him, some personal issues this season, he had some time off and, you know, there've been some ups and downs. What you would say though, is if the script writers are, are looking for a happy ending, so to speak, the reemergence of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at the business end of the season would be quite a way to to you know finish off the movie with a with a heartwarming the end and Arsenal are lifting Euro- a European trophy thanks to a goal in the final by Aubameyang. I mean, is that too? I wouldn't too say it? no to that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. Say no. I'd watch that movie. I would watch that movie. <laughs> well, we are. It's unfolding before our eyes. Let's hope. It is a yeah, bit of an epic so far. So, look, we are into the Europa League semifinals. A 4-0 win over Slavia Prague in Prague last night. Mm. Um, I mean, where do we start with this? Because the obvious place for me is the impact of Emil Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka. Uh, Mikel Arteta decided to go with Granit Xhaka left-back again. He kept the same... It was interesting. Before the game, he was talking about like clean sheets and stuff. And he said, you know, one of the problems, paraphrasing here, is is that we haven't really been able to uh, have consistency of selection in our back mm. four. And you could easily have made a case for, even if it's not my favorite thing, for Cedric to come in at left back last night, for Gabriel to come in at center half, for Hector Bellerin to play at right back. And that would have been three changes from the back four, which kept a clean sheet against Sheffield United. So in some ways, I was a little bit surprised not to see some changes in the back four, but also given his comments before the game, I do wonder if this is something now that Mikel Arteta is looking at and thinking, okay, for these games, 
you know, maybe we do need to to um, have consistency or, or let these guys build relationships because there might be benefits, even if, let's say, individually, you would say they're not the best options or they might there might be players who, who would be considered better, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could say if he'd wanted to select this back four uh, multiple times, he could have done that. But mm. it's kind of a formula that I think he slightly struck upon in the Sheffield United game. I don't think he would have envisaged necessarily, well, Shaq will be at left back and Chambers will be at right back. I think when it worked mm. and when he managed to keep a clean sheet, he just made a decision to stick with it, right? To kind of carry on that momentum and yeah. that understanding. Um but it is an interesting point he raises, I suppose, about the need to chop and change. When you do have that Thursday-Sunday schedule, it does sort of force you almost to, to do a degree of rotation, and that disrupts any kind of momentum. There were some interesting numbers, weren't there, doing the round. Sam Dean wrote a good piece in The Telegraph, uh, and James Bench produced some numbers as well about the, the different centre-back pairings. Mm. At Arsenal and how they've performed and Holding and Marie from a, admittedly a very small sample size I think they played five games together prior to last night but they had won four of those games and their record was the best among the different combinations yeah it's an interesting one it is an interesting one because I think um, the sample size is small I think we said this the other day with Holding and Marie, but that period when we kept some clean sheets uh, in January, they were they were the partnership, and mm. maybe you might think that Gabriel is a better uh, all round player than Pablo Marie, for example. But the partnership between Marie and Holding looks again referencing the small sample size looks pretty solid you know there are other mm. factors as well you know Callum Chambers at right back I think we've got some questions about that so we'll de we'll deal with that a bit later and and everything else but look another clean sheet um can't argue with that and at a point just at the start of the game or in the early stages of the game where I was thinking, you know, we need to get a little bit of control here because we were just a little bit sloppy in possession. Slavia Prague, mm -hmm. very confident at home as they should be. They haven't lost a game there for, I don't know how long it is. It's it's a long time, over a year, something like that, maybe more. Um, I think they said, was it Inter Milan were the last team to beat them at home? And that could have been 18 months ago in the, in the Champions League, something like that. So, right. you know, understandably, they're confident at home. But then... Wow. I mean, we just clicked into life. It was like somebody uh, pressed a button, the rocket fuel went in, and bam, that was it. We just took over. And what we did in that kind of 10-minute spell was sensational. That yeah. It won us the tie. And not even a, a VAR delay could stop our momentum. I mean, what I like most about it is that we did start with that kind of initial disappointment of um, having the goal ruled out, but it didn't dissuade the team in any way if anything it kind of gave them an injection of confidence and they really pushed on and how often have we said this season about Arsenal maybe not being clinical enough to punish teams in the Oof. spells when they're on top of games yeah. and that's absolutely what we did last night and I think you're right to talk about Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka because they were instrumental in that and yeah. I was intrigued to see at the start of the game you know exactly how Saka, Smith-Rowe and Pepe would line up because there were a few options there. You yeah. know, we've seen Smith Rowe play from the left. We've seen Saka play from the middle. We've seen Pepe play from the right and mm. the left. Um, but he went with Pepe on the left, Saka on the right, Smith Rowe through the middle. 
and I thought this was a, a really, really good night for for both of them. I think for Smith Rowe in that position, it was as well as he's played for some time. Um, I think of late, maybe his better games have come on the left-hand side, but yeah. it was excellent through the middle. And uh, yeah, I mean, they obviously combined for the first goal, which was disallowed, but they were just brilliant in that period. Uh, as, as was Pepe. I don't want to leave him out. No, 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 no. I don't think you should. And we can come to him a bit later. But I do think this morning when you're looking at how we took control of that game, those two guys in particular, and I think we're, we're, we're focusing on them because we see them as the future, right? They are mm-hmm. the future of this football team, this football club. You know, if we're going to make progress in the years to come, these guys uh, are going to be a big part of it. I think what I really liked most you know, I, I hated the VAR stoppage because the longer it went on, the more I was convinced that we were going to uh, see the goal disallowed. And so it transpired. But, you know, they combined for that first shot and Smith Rowe was there. He tucked it away. His toe was offside and, and the goal is disallowed. And, you know, the, that sort of, I guess it is a setback in a way, isn't it? When you think you've scored yeah. and then, you know, you're celebrating and then all the joy is sucked out of it by the VAR appeal uh, or by the VAR check, rather. Uh, it would be, I'm not saying easy or understandable, but you could understand why a team might go, oh, fuck's sake, like everything is against us. We just, you know, we've scored a goal, blah, blah, blah. But but what Smithrow did was was basically say, fuck this took the game by the scruff of the neck and what he did to create that chance was was fantastic. Kept the ball in their area under huge pressure from lots of opponents. Nutmegged a guy, kept hold of the ball, nutmegged another guy to give the ball to Pepe and I thought Pepe could have had probably a penalty if he'd gone down but not for the first time this season in that kind of position when, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when he's got the ball in that kind of position. Was it against Wolves maybe? A similar yeah. kind of position you know, he stood up, stood strong, uh, committed the goalkeeper, and it was a really good finish uh, at the near post. So, you yeah, know, just... It was they, Southampton, they, they I don't know. Was it Southampton? It was, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, Wolves was the one where he kind of dribbled past a couple of guys. But mm. uh, Smith Rowe's footwork in the build-up to that is sensational. You're absolutely mm. right. And I think I think it is fair to say that the VAR thing could have stopped our momentum. You know, it's not just the kind of disappointment, but it's also the fact that it gives... Slavia an opportunity to regroup, reorganise. Yeah. You know, at a point where we're on top of the game, it caused a halt to proceedings. But we just didn't let that disrupt us whatsoever. Mm. And yeah, brilliant work for Smith Rowe. And I really liked that Pepe had that delay. It kind of was almost almost canoe-esque in some ways. You know, he yeah, just yeah, found yeah, like an extra mean. an extra moment in the box where it didn't seem to be one and showed real calmness, coolness. But we know he's got that that capacity in his game. You're it's, thinking, just, it's a really good, it's a really good goal, actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the pass, I think it's, is it Sabios or Partey who plays it in? Lacazette has a lovely touch around the corner mm. uh, to find Smith Rowe. He gets, I think, one break maybe yeah. early on, but then he nutmegs two guys, um, finds Pepe and puts it away. And mm. it was a real punch the air goal for me at home anyway I was so delighted especially because what it did to the tie but in getting the one away goal suddenly things felt a lot healthier yeah of course and I think you know if we talk about how it might have demoralized us to have that goal ruled out I mean imagine what it's like for Slavia Prague to think you've gone behind and then you haven't and you're like oh, okay cool this is great and then like literally within 60 90 seconds you're behind 
you're actually behind and there was no way. I mean, they did say on commentary, oh, there's a VAR check. And I was going, what for? What the fuck are you checking this well, time we wouldn't for? wouldn't know because you know? they don't show they us don't on show, the yeah. TV. Always. Which is nice, really. Making it as painful an experience as it would be for fans in the stadium. Yeah, exactly. Um, Look at that bald man. Look at the bald man listening to Just his radio. staring at the Just, referee. Yeah. Uh, absolutely bizarre. By the way, I must correct myself. I said it. I thought it was party of Sabias who played the ball into Lacazette on the edge of the box. It was actually Callum Chambers going back. Which, again, I think speaks to the performance he had and the way in which he mm. played. He's right advanced in a kind of central midfield area and plays it into the feet of Lacazette right on the edge of the box. So, it is, yeah, interesting. He is an interesting player, Callum Chambers. Like, mm-hmm. I feel if he was half a yard faster, he'd be just, you know, nobody would be complaining about him at all. Because I think what we see when he gets into positions in midfield and high up the pitch, is the experience that he has in midfield. Mm -hmm. You know, he played on loan for Fulham for a year and was their best player that season, but he played in midfield, you know? Mm -hmm. So he has that ability on the ball, um, which I I think was evident in in the the Saka goal as well, you know, where he got there and played it with his left foot, a good pass, etc., etc. But, you know, the second goal as well, Chambers plays a really nice pass down the line to... Smith Rowe, there's a really good combination over on that right-hand side. I think Saka's involved. He plays it back to Chambers. Chambers clips it down the line, and Smith Rowe is running onto it down that down that right-hand side. I mean, his ability to run the channels is really impressive to me. Like yeah. I, the footwork for the goal is is something, but the fact that he can combine the uh, the footwork with the physical aspects of the game the running that we needed and we talked about that didn't we that like if you're going to pick Lacazette um, you need to pick runners with him to give him those guys uh, you know who can get down those channels he does it so well and he can do it on both sides so um, I think Chambers deserves some credit as well for the uh, for the pass down the line Smith Rowe into Saka obvious foul and it's a penalty it is a penalty, yeah. And I have to say, I quite fancied Pepe to score anyway. Have the way he'd taken the first one, the ball cut back to him, but I'd rather take the penalty than take the chance. And uh, mm. very coolly put away. I mean, you know, Lacazette's very reliable in that situation. Yeah, his penalty taking has been, has been excellent. So the third goal then, Saka, I mean, how easy did he make that look? <laughs> Extremely. And I mean, we knew from the first leg that he had the better of his fullback on this side. Mm. And so maybe we shouldn't have been remotely surprised that he continued out on that flank in this game. Um, again, this is a, a really nice goal. That If you watch the build-up back, there's a really good touch from Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Granit Xhaka knocks it into him and he tucks it around the corner. He's completely Partey. on his toes, isn't he? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. The, the, the guy has no idea. He just nips him from behind him and plays it out to Partey, yeah? Uh, Chambers nips in, plays a pass with his wrong foot. And I mean, it's it's almost what Saka did, you know, on the first goal, the mm. one that was ruled out for offside. But this time he goes for the near post, completely wrong foot's the goalkeeper. Yeah. And that's what we want to see from him. I mean, we all know how good he is. We all know how dangerous he is. We all know he absolutely can finish. Um, it's just good to see him produce it. And that was uh, an exquisite goal. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, I'm just looking at it again. That is a really smart piece of play by Smith Rowe because the goal doesn't yeah. happen without him being 
on his toes and alert in midfield um, and just coming in from behind, playing it out to Partey, to Chambers, to Saka. I mean, there's Chambers, left foot. Okay, defenders, like the defender's not great, but <clears throat> he the, that's the thing about Saka is that the defender doesn't know which way he's going to go. No. You know, and that is the 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 thing that, that makes Saka such a difficult player to defend against this season when he's playing on the right-hand side is that, like, you know, I'm not being disrespectful here to Nicolas Pepe at all, but if that were Nicolas Pepe in that position, I think if you're a defender, nine times out of ten, or 99 times out of 100, you can guess which way he's going to go, which is to come back inside. But with Saka... There's the uncertainty. I'm not sure the uncertainty is there with Pepe. And, you know, I'm not taking anything away from his performance last night because it was really good. But, um, you know, that's what Saka gives you on that right-hand side. The uncertainty that it plants in the minds of defenders makes it easy is, is something that he can exploit with his movement and his quick feet. Absolutely. And also just from a technical perspective, mm. he almost kind of slows down on the ball and then just speeds up very quickly to skip inside. You can see why it wrong foots the defender and why it leaves him behind. But <laughs> He's it's- like a highly stylized um, uh, video. You know, the kind of one that they make, <clears throat> promo video that they might make for a player and it sort of slows down and then <laughs> speeds up yeah, again. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he is that in real life. He is kind of exactly. It's like it all goes in slow motion, then speeds up again. And yeah, look, he was. Um, I mean, I think watching it back, we're realizing the contribution of Smith Rowe was certainly really big. But you know, Saka winning a penalty, scoring a goal, you know, creating another that's disallowed. You mm. can't really argue with what he produced in that first forty-five minutes. And that was uh, what only twenty-five minutes on the clock, something like that. And the the tie was basically. Done. I mean, you hesitate to say it with Arsenal always, but it, it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was that sort of 10-minute salvo won us the game, and there was no way back. I mean, even at halftime, at halftime, they made a quadruple substitution. Because mm. I was looking mm. at it on the sideline going, oh, they're bringing on a couple, oh, maybe three, and they said three, and then it was four. I mean, I've never seen, I know it's happened in other games, but I haven't seen it before. I haven't seen a team in a competitive game make a quadruple substitution at any point, let alone half time. And I think, you know, in essence, that was the Slavia manager waving the white flag, to be honest. Yeah. I know he maybe was trying to change something and hoping that it might happen, but it didn't. Um, so it's a testament to what we did in that first half, you know? I definitely interpreted it as a white flag. And um, yeah, I mean, the game was, was done really. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was sort of, delighted because I feared, you know, while I had optimism that Arsenal would go through, I feared a pretty long, stressful evening. I mean, we Mm. even spoke on the previous podcast about the prospect of potentially extra time and, you know, how nail-biting that might be. So incredibly reassuring and just, just great to see this team clicking in attack. I mean, it has done so intermittently throughout this season, but in terms of a kind of complete attacking performance... This was kind of uh, right right up there. It was. And look, we got a fourth goal. I think we should mention that as well. Um, Pepe Definitely. down the left-hand side. Good movement, found well by by Shaka. And, you know, it's, um, it's a really smart finish from, from Lacazette. You know, good feet in the box and, and slammed it home. So, you know, we didn't necessarily just rest on, 
um, our laurels. We were looking for more and we got more. And I think we deserved to win that game as, as well as we did. I mean, did they say, I think uh, we've scored three goals or more in each of our last four away games. So 3-0 against Sheffield United, 4-0 against Slavia Prague, 3-3 with um, West Ham, mm. of course, and then 3-1 win over Olympiacos in the mm. in the previous round of the, of the Europa League. So, you know, one of the one of the issues we've had this season is not scoring enough goals and not making as many chances as we should have. And I think there's still improvements to be made because when you look at the first leg against Slavia Prague, you know that was that was evident there, but there is also evidence that this is a team which is capable of scoring more goals than it was, um, you know, f- three four months ago for sure. Yeah, and here's a weird sort of quirk of that is that Alex Lacazette was a player who couldn't buy a goal away from home a couple of years ago, and now he's scored the vast majority of his mm. goals this season away from the Emirates Stadium. Um, you know, interesting sort of swing there. But yeah, we have looked good. And there were even a few fans in this game. Yeah. There? I think there were about 50 fans, something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, they made some noise. Yeah, so it felt like a, a more of a realistic away tie. But yeah, I, I think, you know, it's not like we had 20 attempts on goal in the game. As far as I'm aware, we were just pretty clinical with the chances that we mm. did create. And the fourth goal is a great example of that. And I think you see... You see one of the strengths of Pepe playing down the left-hand side. You know, he. I think in the absence of Kieran Tierney and someone who's going to drive to the byline and get crosses in with that left foot, there is an obvious advantage to mm. playing someone like Pepe out there. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you about that because, um, again, I think we do have to take the calibre of the opposition into account a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the absence of Tierney and without Martin Odegaard and without... Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, despite having his uh, issues this season, you know, remains a a very potent goal scorer. Um, You know, that's what he does. Without those players, you know, David Luiz as well, somebody who's kind of, uh, I think you wrote about this in in The Athletic this week, about Luiz and Shaka, you know, how fundamental they are, even if they're flawed players, they are still important players in this current Arsenal setup, which, you know, uh, that's maybe something we should be looking at. But those are big players to be missing at this stage of a European competition. And even in the Premier League last weekend against Sheffield United, clearly Xhaka, a left back, is not a long-term solution. But are you, I mean, how do you view it in terms of uh, Arteta's management slash coaching slash setup of the team, you know, he has been criticised quite a lot this season, I think rightly so, for results which haven't been good enough at certain periods of the season and some performances which haven't been good enough. And um, is this, you know, people say, well, he stumbled across this Shaka thing at left-back, but is it not a very deliberate decision to play him there in a in a very defined way to give the team balance that it requires to attack well. Um, we've scored seven goals in the two games that he's played there uh, and conceded none, which, you know, it's not entirely down to him. I'm not saying this is all down to him, but but if we thought about these games against Sheffield United or, or Slavia Prague and thought about them without Kieran Tierney, the idea that we might score seven goals without letting any in with Jack at left back, without Odegaard, without Aubameyang, you know, people would have been quite dubious, I think. 
So, do, you know, does he deserve credit for what he's done to cope with the situation that he's found himself in? I think so. I think he's had to adapt, and I think the team have had to adapt. I saw a tweet from Clive last night saying, you know, Arsenal, it took some them some time to adjust to playing without Kieran Tierney, and I completely agree with that. He had become so integral, so fundamental, that it required a bit of a, a rejig and a rethink when you haven't got that like-for-like replacement. And as we all know, we don't have that. Mm. I think Slavia are a better team than Sheffield United. I really do. And I think that this was a better more devastating attacking performance. Um, the Shaka at left-back thing, it's really hard because, you know, one, I think Slavia are a better team. I, I don't think they're the best team we'll play between now and the other season, certainly. And I think there are bigger tests ahead and you are wary of endorsing a, a tactical idea until you see it tested at that higher level. But the way we're playing and the way he's playing that role, it's not like he's being asked to do a lot of kind of chasing into channels. You know, no. he's almost playing as a third centre-back, really, in build-up. And, and he's not often getting over the halfway line. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. not like he's being asked to get outside Pepe and, you know, get to the byline and swing crosses <laughs> in and then get back. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we were asking him to do that, I'd be really worried. But we are being quite conservative in how we use Shaka and we're supporting him with you know, a, a, a left-footed player potentially in front in Pepe with Ceballos drifting out to that flank and mm. doing a lot of the kind of dirty work in the kind of wing-back areas. So it, it might just work. It might just work. It keeps Shaka um, facing the game, which is where he's good, where mm. he's best. Uh, I, I, he's, he's doing the job well. He deserves credit as well. It's not his normal position, but yesterday he was kind of winning a few balls in the air and doing some of the defensive side well. I think one of the keys to it is, can Danny Ceballos keep playing well enough for us to not need Granit Xhaka in midfield? Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, he's been inconsistent this season, but he's had a good couple of games. If he can find a vein of form, then we might be onto something. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he was enjoying himself last night. And we spoke on Monday, didn't we, about how despite the the difficulties uh, he's had in uh, recent weeks, uh, some of the mistakes that he's made, and, you know, a couple of them were punished very, very harshly, but they were still mistakes. He didn't lose any confidence in himself or his own ability. Um, and he looked a bit quicker around the pitch last night. He was pressing and, and uh, mm. you know, while Xhaka is at left back, I think he is a, he's a cog in, in making that happen. The The connection between them was a little bit different from the, the game against Sheffield United. It wasn't mm. quite as, as Mickey-shaped, but, you know, he still plays an important part in that. And I think, you know, that brings us on to, to Thomas Partey, who I'm not saying he's left on his own in midfield, but he's the deepest man in midfield in this system you know there's a there's more defensive responsibility on him and i think last night he had something like five tackles and four interceptions three interceptions you know he he seems to relish that role at the base of the midfield which is another interesting aspect to how we've played of late i don't think there are many players around who you could ask to do what we're asking him to do you know he is kind of the hub at the heart of the wheel and, and you're right he is often in that zone relatively isolated sometimes with two or three opposition mm. players to deal with 
and he has the skill and the power to do it. He's not perfect, but I don't think... I, I just don't think we've had a midfielder who could do that for quite some time. And uh, I was thoroughly impressed with him last night. Uh, he was he was really, really good. So, yeah, we we we... It's interesting with Arteta. You know, I do think that he does have a capacity to innovate. And when problems, uh, when he encounters problems, I think he finds solutions relatively well. And he, he's able to kind of just tweak a player's role mm. to kind of maximise their strengths and obscure their weaknesses. I know people will point to other situations where that hasn't worked, but there have been plenty of occasions where it has. And I think that's his ability as a coach coming through. Um this was a really good night for him and a, and a credit to, you know, the way in which he's adapted to missing, like you say, some really important players. I mean, Tierney, it goes without saying, but he's missing his captain, you know, his his best striker, theoretically. David Luiz, who absolutely plays this game if he's fit and available. Um, there's probably more that I'm not thinking of. Martin Odegaard, who we're all yeah. desperate to keep. To produce this performance without those players, it certainly is a credit. Sure is. And look, it sets up a very interesting semi-final um, with Villarreal. Um, we have a little bit of history with them in Europe and we also have a little bit of history with their manager. Um, so we might talk about that in, in part two. But is, I mean, is there anything else that stood out for you on the night that you, you want to talk about in terms of the game? Or is it just a really accomplished attacking performance? You know, I looked at the stats here. We had seven shots. Mm. Slavia Prague had seven shots. So you're right. It wasn't like we peppered them with, with uh, you know, attempt after attempt after attempt. It was just that the quality of the chances and the quality of the finishes were so high that, you know, it, it won the game for us. And and I think there were other passages of play in that first half in particular. There was one move, if I remember, from deep in our half. I think it was at left back. And one of their guys went down pretending that he got fouled. And we worked the ball all the way up to the top end of the pitch. Callum Chambers overlapping, and, and I think he was crossing for somebody to have a tap in, but there was a good piece of defending. It got a corner. You know, some of that football, um, as someone said to me on Twitter last night, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but like, there's Arsene Wenger looking down on us again with his glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, maybe he is following the team and he's just sat in Rosette every game, looking down, smiling. I don't know. It, it is a... With a box curious, of wine. You know, because you wouldn't be allowed. You wouldn't be allowed to carry a box of wine and a straw. <laughs> you wouldn't be allowed to carry a bottle into the ground. You know, for safety That's reasons. True. So he's just got a cardboard box of wine. You can get those, can't you? With a little tap on them. Yeah, his his spirit sort of flickering like a Jedi. Do you know what I mean? Above the stadium. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I, listen, now I think this was a, a a really good night for everybody. I think, and as fans, I think we we desperately needed this result and we needed a bit of the breathing space it gives us and the hope that our season might have some life in it yet I mean the prize the prize that awaits us in the Europa League mm. is so enormous yeah you... I, I don't go I don't think we can underestimate or underplay how big it would be for Arsenal to go from being basically 10th in the Premier League to being in the Champions League in the course of 90 minutes. Well, of course, but I mean, again, is this not part of the crazy, the crazy script of this season that, you know, the Premier League campaign has been so underwhelming and disappointing and frustrating, yet here we are. 
a couple of games away from a final. And then if you manage to get through that, you're 90 minutes potentially away from a European trophy and, you know, entry into next season's Champions League. It It is just part of this crazy season that we're having it's i mean are you getting excited it it feels weird to be so excited you know given what we've done in the premier league and and how far below expectations we are let's not lose sight of that but here we are we've got semi-finals coming up and you know it's exciting i'm excited i'm feeling all fluttery and you know nervous and all of those kind of things and and you know having what was it? How am I going to put this? You know, there are times this season where it's all just felt a bit like, ugh, ugh. I, I'm not feeling anything. Like you're just in this kind of zone of purgatory or whatever it might be. But now, here we are at the business end of the season, and we have a really big thing to play for, and it's great. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the nature of football, and it's particularly the nature of cup competitions. Mm. I saw a lot of people last night... Arsenal fans saying, why are people saying this is a big game? It's Slavia Prague. We, you know, it shouldn't be a big game to us. We should just turn up and roll them over. And I was like, well, that's not how it works for me. I just think in an ideal world, that would have some merit. But we are where we are and we've got to where we've got to. And Mm. this is, our season is basically hit a bottleneck, you know, where this is all we've got to go through. And, as for sort of the prospect of winning the thing and getting into the Champions League, I can't quite figure it out, but it strikes me there must be some sort of board game analogy, you know, pass, go, collect 200 million or something. It feels <laughs> like such a shot in the dark to suddenly get that boost. Um, do that not it, go course, to jail. Do not go do to not, jail. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's exactly like that. And it, and it feels massive. And I, I can't get too excited about it because of the the ties we've potentially got ahead of us and I don't think those will be straightforward but yeah listen if you can't get excited about semi-final what's the point yeah um the other thing to say by the way just about the game generally is that um I really it's a complex situation and I I actually took some criticism of people who felt that in saying this I was kind of judging the people of Slavia Prague or the people of the Czech Republic but I I wasn't but I did feel a sense of grievance with that club given what had gone on with them and Rangers in the previous round and the way in which the club conducted themselves throughout the UEFA disciplinary proceedings and I really liked the way in which Arsenal's players took a stand and I felt there was a very powerful symbolism about the manner in which Arsenal won that game. Yeah, it is a a little bit of a complicated one in that I I can understand why fans of a club might feel defensive if they feel like they're all being maligned as something because of the the actions, the indefensible actions of one guy, you know? Um, So look, I I do think as well, though, that, that Lacazette image spoke many words. And his performance. I mean, if you do something like that, you know, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it kind of puts a pressure on you. You know, are you going to deliver against that? And he and Arsenal absolutely did. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's important to say it's not to suggest, you know, Slavia Prague bad, Arsenal good. You know, it's not to suggest there are problems of racism that exist in other countries outside the UK and not in the UK. We're very, very aware that this is a a problem that is everywhere. But I just think these things have a kind of a symbolic weight, you know, and when 
when you have an opportunity to kind of send a message or use your platform, use your, uh, your, yeah, platform is the right word to, to, to make a point or send a message. I think it's good when people do. And I was proud of the team for, for what they did last night. All right. Well, look, Arsenal 4-0 winners over Slavia Prague into the Europa League semi-finals. We're going to face Villarreal. We're going to face Unai Emery. We're going to have some questions about that and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. So where will we start? Um, let me ask you this one. Uh, it comes okay. from Twitter. There's a couple like this. Uh, one from Rattan Postwala. Uh, or Postwala, who says, Chambers at right-back is very interesting. We aren't losing anything in attack, it seems, and he adds physicality to our team. A future back four of Chambers, Tierney, Saliba, and Marie Gabriel, or Marie Gabriel, won't be physically intimidated by anyone. Can he be our long-term right-back? I say yes. And uh, also on Twitter, Wellbeast at Wellbeast says, I'd like to hear your honest opinion for your preferred choice at right-back between Bellerin and Chambers. I'll tell you, one thing I do like about the back four we've played in the last two games, I do find it slightly comforting that they're four pretty tall guys. <laughs> and actually, any sort of you know goal kick or crossfield pass, you fancy us to win it in those situations. You know, we've, we've fallen victims to teams looking in behind Bellerin with high balls or playing, you know, crosses to his post. Mm. Chambers is six foot plus, and I, I think... Uh, Shaka is pretty much too. So, so I like the kind of physical dimension that they've brought at fullback. Chambers is such a fascinating one. I mean, the way I kind of see it is that at right back, he's often looked a bit like a square peg in a round hole. But Mikel Arteta kind of seems to want a square peg in a round hole at right back. Um, the way he asks that role to be played is slightly unconventional it's not it doesn't fit with the way we imagine Hector Bellerin conventionally playing um it's not that kind of 
overlapping, you know, there's not as much of a need to get up and down quite as much. How much do you think, how much do you think Chambers on the right is tied in with Shaka on the left? Because I, I think there, you're right to point out there was a physical element. And McManaman was on BT Sport last night, you know, going, why aren't they crossing it? And maybe the mm. fact that we had this presence in there was was mm. part of that. But I do wonder if, you know, is there something to, okay, if you're going to have a big, uh, not the most mobile guy at left back, I'm not saying... Chambers is not mobile, but he's not, you know, in comparison to your conventional fullback, what you would yeah. consider your normal conventional fullback, kind of, you know, mid-height, quite quick, mobile, gets up and down. That's what you're looking for from a Cedric or from a Bellerin, you know, Chambers mm. is not that. Do you think there is something in that, in the the fact that it's Xhaka on the other side? So there's a balance there, or is it just, you know, coincidence that we've seen this in the last couple of games? I think... <laughs> Uh, basically, I think Arteta always pretty much does the same thing, which is that he kind of builds up with three at the back, and then he's got, you know, ostensibly ahead of that, he's got at least two, sometimes three. And and last night, it was pretty much Shaka, Marie, and Holding building up from the back, and Chambers was was stepping into midfield, mm. you know, with Partey and Ceballos in the wide. So it was kind of Chambers and Ceballos were sort of the wider midfielders, Partey holding the central ground. And I think that um, if Shaka was playing in midfield, the same thing would probably be happening. He'd just be sort of stepping back into that build-up area, and Tierney would be pushing higher. But so I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a correlation there. I mean, Chambers they said last night has now played four of the last five Premier League games, which mm. feels like it's significant until you remember that most of our Premier League games don't seem to matter that much at the present time. It's sort of the European ones that mattered more, and, and Bellerin had been the guy getting picked for those. I think he's doing very well at right back. And I think he's a better right back. I think he's a better right back than Cedric. I do actually think that. I think he gives you more. Um, Detective 82 says, new deal for Chambers? Like he's got a year left come the summer. I think it is a year left anyway. I'll just double check that. But I do think he's he's into the final year of his contract yeah. come, the, come the... Come the summer, so there's a you know whatever happens, there's a decision to be made. I mean, I think the writing is on the wall for Hector Bellerin. Do you? Feels a bit like it, all right, because I expected Hector to start last night. Yeah, I and there've been a few games yeah. recently where I've thought he should start mm. this one, and he hasn't. I mean, you Do know, you- uh, effectively, his selection last night was him dropped his strong, but he was left out. You know, he stuck with Chambers in that situation. Um, he could have rotated. He could have put fresh legs in, and he didn't. I think. Mm. I think Hector Bellerin will go. That's that's my impression. But you, the tricky thing is mm. then. Sorry to speak across you, but no, no. Do you give Chambers a new deal? Well, we know Cedric's not expiring anytime soon, don't we? Yeah. Um, and then you maybe encounter the slightly thorny issue of kind of. Well, if Chambers, if neither Chambers nor Cedric is the guy, how many right backs do we need? You know, for Chambers to get a new deal, does he need to be, pardon me, the guy? You know, yeah. it's a slightly tricky one. It is, you know, there is an element to Chambers as well in that he's homegrown. Yeah. He can play at centre half as well if we need. And I'm not, you know, advocating that that's the case, but he can do that. He can play in midfield as well. 
Um, so you can do some of the jobs kind of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know, did, you know, in terms mm. of like that versatility. He's a good guy to have on the bench. Um, I don't know if we're keeping as many subs as we've got going forward. Um, but yeah, it, you know, if we, if we go back to smaller benches, he's quite a useful guy to have. I, I would be, how old is he? 26. I mean, just you know, gone to well, 26 in January. So I think, it is one of those, isn't it, where you, you 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 can see some benefits to keeping him, but at the same time, there's a part of you that goes. One of our problems in recent years has been hanging on to players a bit too long and not I extracting agree. value from them when we could. I agree with that, but I suppose having sort of given the thumbs up to the deal for Rob Holding earlier this season on the basis that at best we get a useful squad player who's homegrown at worst we retain Mm. value in a kind of marketable asset I think I would say pretty much the same for Callum Chambers I don't it's not a situation like extending a Bemiang where it's going to kind of financially break our back to do it you know I think I'm sure he'd want a very good wage, but I think it's something we could afford. And I think whether it's this summer, next summer, two summers time, if we decide we need to sell Callum Chambers, Mm. I think we'll make some money on him. Yeah. I think the worst case scenario is that we lose him for nothing. That's the worst case scenario. Yeah, sure. And we can't keep doing that. That is the reality. We cannot keep losing players for nothing. Um, are, are we being are we being harsh? I mean, we've had a few questions kind of to that end of people saying, you know, when will people start taking Callum Chambers seriously? Nono Siaya says, what is it about Chambers that people continue to not approve of his skills? A lot of people thought that starting him was a very defensive mood by Arteta, a move by Arteta. Mm. You I know, is it is it just the lingering shadow of Jefferson Montero? I, I think, or is there more to it than that? I think there could be that could be part of it. It's also the fact that he hasn't really, in all his time at the club, established himself fully. You know what I mean? In that he's had loan spells, he's had a big injury, and fair play to him, he's come back from an ACL, and he's you know I think he's played a bigger part in this season than many people would have expected. Definitely, I think in terms of passing an ability on the ball he's better than Bellerin and I think he's better than Cedric like I think his overall ability on the ball I think he's a smart footballer yeah I think he's just lacks that like half a yard of pace which would be so important for him um, which isn't to say I think he's hugely slow or anything like that but where am I going with this I think he's a good player. I do think he's a good player. And I think you're right to say that maybe if we did extend him, it it keeps our homegrown quota up. And when he reaches 28, he's still sellable Mm. if we decide to to do that. Um, So at the moment, and again, bearing in mind that, you know, the two really good performances he's had have come against, uh, well, I thought he was great against West Ham in fairness uh, in that, period where we were good as a team he was he was excellent um but the last two performances have been against relatively low level opposition yeah 
Yeah. And, and that's you know, a factor. You have to take that into consideration. But I do, I do think he's a smart player, probably a better player than people give him credit for. But there are many factors as to why people will say, well, look, he's been here since he was 19. He's now 26. And what is he? Is he a right back? Is he a centre half? Is he a midfielder? I mean, he's barely ever played in midfield for us. Mm. So you can understand why people would have reservations and think, okay, look, he's had long enough. Maybe we should go a different direction. Whereas I do think there is some merit to the idea that we could extend him. And even in a year's time, 18 months time, two years time, come that summer, we could sell him and, and make some money. Yeah, and maybe not. Maybe he flourishes and maybe, you know, he, he is part of things. I mean, although he's barely played central midfield for us, I think you can see what playing that position for Fulham has done for his game. He, he is kind of a 360 degree footballer, you know, he's comfortable taking the ball in a lot of different positions. He's got a big variety of passing. Uh, I think that's really impressive. And I think, mm. um, I, I, you know, it's a bit like kind of Saka at number 10, which is sort of hobby horse I, I've, I've ridden for a while. But I still would like to see him at centre-back as the right-sided centre-half. I just would be curious. You know, I just think in the event of losing David Luiz and kind of the range of passing that he offers us, I do just wonder what Chambers might bring mm. to that position. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not, not sure. you know, I'm not sure that I would be... I think, you know, we need to obviously think about life without David Luiz because he's 34 and, and all the rest. Yeah. I think I would rather, if we're keeping Chambers, have him as a squad option. Maybe he is a, a backup right back or he's a backup centre half or he's a backup midfield player at times. Who knows? Mm. But I think if we're going to make progress, that's a weird one. It's a, it is a tough one because sometimes defenders can flourish and really come into their own, you know, in their sort of late to mid-20s. And maybe he's one of those... Yeah, I don't necessarily but, mean as kind of first choice. No, I know, either, I know, you know, I, know. I think, I suppose in my head, there's a slight conundrum of holding and chambers, you know. Is there's there a samey sameness, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, do you have to make a decision about one of them? Well, not if you're playing chambers as a right back, I guess. And, and what you what you would say is, from everything we know about them, they appear pretty good characters and yeah, yeah. pretty good, pretty good people to have around the club and the squad. And, um, crucially they are homegrown and we, we're mm. not overly stopped with, with that. Yeah. Uh, interesting though, isn't it? I mean, he's, yeah, yeah. he's really surpassed my expectations. That is for sure. I mean, on, on that note, AFC breakdown says this back four has kept two clean sheets in two games. Do you think Arteta will stick with it from now on? How confident would you feel going into a game against an attack like United who have plenty of pace? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a million dollar question. And one we talked about earlier when he did uh, mention having consistency of selection. Yeah. I, I still think there are going to be changes because as we get towards the Villarreal games and then hopefully towards uh, the final games of the season and the Europa League final, if we can get that far you really have to start taking into account the the physical aspects that, that uh, you want from your team, you know? So 
Mm. Like we said, if we're in the Europa League final on the 26th of May, who the hell are you playing on the 23rd of May? Pretty much nobody who's going to be part of that game. You know, yeah. in your mind, if you've pictured Europa League final team, you're not going to risk any of them against uh, Brighton, are you? And I, I think there are some fixtures coming up where we can rotate and we can keep players fresh. I think that's another part of it as well, is that you 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 can benefit from having consistency of selection. But if you've got guys who are sitting on the bench for four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and then you need them and they don't have any match sharpness, that can cost you as well. So there are fixtures coming up that you look at and think, okay, we could make some changes in these games and we should still be capable of getting the the kind of results that we need. So I don't think Shaka at left back is going to be something that we see in every game between now and the end of the season. I could be wrong, but I, I don't believe that's the case. I think there will be some rotation there and at centre half as well. Um, you know, I think there will be games for Cedric and for Bellerin and for Gabriel. So I I don't think it's going to be this or bust until the end of the season. So No, nor do I. I think the nature of our season means there's going to be a lot of rotation. Mm. And, I, and I do wonder as well, like, <laughs> is there kind of a lesson in that for us as a fan base to not get too exercised about starting 11s? I think we have to appreciate some of the juggling that is going to go on by necessity yeah. between now and the end of the season. I mean, here was a question from the Discord from Chris who said, how does Kieran Tierney fit into this style of play? Do we lose Chambers for a right-back midfielder style player and have uh, Kieran Tierney in the back three with less rampaging upfield or something else? And it's not really that question that I'm interested in, but it's the broad idea that this style of play is now our style of play, whereas it seems to me that it is more fluid than that. And will be more fluid than that when we when we play specific games against specific opponents. Yeah, and I think that we are blessed with players who play ostensibly the same position very differently. You know, you could look at Chambers as opposed to Bellerin, or you could look at you know Tierney as opposed to Shaka, or even Smith Rowe as opposed to Odegaard. You know, Lacazette as opposed to Aubameyang. There are a lot of options at Michael Arteta's disposal theoretically. Um, and actually, where he's really going to have to improve, I think, is you, you start a game, you play your hand, you know, you show what cards you've picked. Um, and sometimes that works brilliantly, as it did last night. And other times the opposition will have countered you in some way that you haven't considered mm. or, you know, pulled a trick of their own. And really the skill in terms of sort of managing the squad is is not always picking the right starting 11 but being able to make the changes within games to change them and to determine the outcome and yeah. that's where I think he needs to get better really um, that's where we want to see him mm. improve and develop as a manager mm. um, I've got uh, a couple here one yeah. from Jake Svensson who says every time Pepe plays on the left he's so good he has less time to think and he's more direct and decisive is Arteta overcomplicating things always moving him back to the right and Joe who's at red and white 11 says it seems to me that Pepe has played best for us on the left as he's more two dimensional should the end of the season be used as an experiment to give him a run of games there and see him develop in that role. Hmm. Um. He 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 has been good on the left, and with hindsight, 
as I said in part one, I think in the absence of Tierney, it is helpful to have a Pepe there or potentially a Saka, someone who mm. does you provide you that threat on the outside, who gives you that crossing ability. You know, there's a, pre- a much clearer... If you have Shaka and Pepe as your left-hand side, there's a pretty clear delineation of responsibility there. Mm. You know, one guy's very much in his own half, the other guy's very much in the opposition half. Um, I just think that him showing that he can play on that side has been... is, is a great development, and it, it makes him a more versatile, more useful player for us. <clears throat> if you think about his first season with the club, I don't think he really had a game on that side. I think no. it was almost exclusively on the right. Um, and so I think this means there'll be more opportunities for him. I think it means he'll play more games. I hope we see more of him now. I mean, he's now, at, uh, what I think he's at 10 goals for the season in all competitions. He's got more goal contributions than any other player um, in the Europa League, I think he's joint top with a guy from Roma in terms of goals and assists. So he's been really important for us in this competition. I think he is coming into his own and I, I completely understand why Saka has kind of dominated that position on the right-hand side. But yeah, the left is now a serious option for Pepe. And when you look at the alternatives, I mean, we've had a few questions about, you know, who do we like on the left flank? I definitely prefer him there to Pe- to uh, Willian. I think <laughs> I definitely uh, prefer him there to Aubameyang. Yeah. Um, I think Smith-Rowe is the one that would give you consideration, but I kind of feel that Smith-Rowe really playing him on the left is kind of contingent on having a Kieran Tierney, someone who can over. Well, also a Martin Odegaard. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. But I think, you know, on that flank, particularly if you want someone to go outside him, if you haven't got that, I think Pepe looks like a really good option. What do you think? I think it is it is interesting and it changes the dynamic of how he plays because as I said in the first half of the show, when he's on the right-hand side, you know what he wants to do. He doesn't have the sort of the, the two-footedness of Saka to be able to um, change up the way he attacks the fullback. So... Quite often in his time here, we, we've, we've seen defenses deal with him because they know, cut off that angle down the line, he's not going to go there, he's going to cut inside and then the ball is going backwards or he's going across goal and you can deal with him in that way. I, I, would, be, I would be happy to see him get a run of games there. I think one of the issues for Nicolas Pepe is the fact that every time, almost every time, we feel... He's taken a step forward or he's made a, a, a valuable contribution. He's been sidelined for some reason or another. Mm. You know, and it, it's it's difficult to produce consistently when you're not playing consistently. And I think the numbers that he's put up um, in terms of goal contributions, given the frequency with which he's been left on the bench or only introduced as a substitute, are a testament to what he can give you. I, it's hard not to think that Arteta has been looking for something very specific from him or specific improvements from him. It's been noticeable in the last couple of games, and I, and I, I think this has been true of some of his performances. You know, going back to the cup final even last season, where the defensive aspect of his game has been a lot better. You mm-hmm. know the, the. 
the work rate, the positioning, the awareness of where he needs to be when we don't have the ball, I think is is improved a lot. Uh, certainly when you consider what Arteta is looking for from his players in those positions. The left-hand side is an interesting one, though, because you do have Smith-Rowe, who can play there if Odegaard is fit. You've got Martinelli, who was good against Sheffield United, again, albeit in a slightly unconventional system with Wyshaka left-back and Ceballos in that pocket, etc., etc. But I think um, it's certainly an option that I'd be happy to see more of, you know, and he can produce last night. He got the first goal. He got an assist. I know Lacazette had to do a fair amount of heavy lifting when it came to the finish, but you know Pepe's movement, his willingness to run in the 77th, 78th minute, you know, and run beyond and get down the line uh, was a big part of creating that chance. So, look, what more can he do when he's given chances to start than he's done in the last couple of games? So, I'd like to see more of it. And I know that might be at the expense of someone like Martinelli, who everyone wants to see as well, but that is a good problem to have you know yeah uh, yeah absolutely but I, I think if you're looking at that left-hand side you know Pepe and Martinelli they're not sim- they're not the same player but they are kind of of a type and I think there is something about that type uh, on the flank that seems to give us a little bit more um, so for me it would kind of be between those two probably um, mm. I also think uh, just an interesting point about kind of assist and you know, I think as fans, we have a tendency to qualify assists, but it might have been Paul on the Arsenal Vision podcast who was talking about this. But I think often when we qualify them, we're talking about the pass. You know, oh, it was a relatively straightforward pass, but we don't always think about the area that the player is in or the run mm. that they've made to get to that position. Yeah. And I think the Pepe one's a great example of that. You know, he he, he takes up a really dangerous position that helps us create that opportunity. Um, it's, it, a good, it's a good cross as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, he, on gets his, he gets his toothpaste up the tube, you see. That's he gets his toothpaste. So that must, be, must have been Paul, yeah. yeah. Um, Arsenal We Are One, MG on Twitter says, a vast amount of Arsenal fans want to see Martinelli start more games. Um, oh, we've kind of done this question. Yeah. We've kind of done this question. The question goes on. However, it seems Pepe performs best when playing on the left. With that in mind, mm. who do you think should get the nod? I, I suppose more generally, the Martinelli phenomena of kind of, you know, people's desperation to see him play and then slight frustration that he didn't. I mean, were you disappointed when he was left out of the lineup yesterday? No, I mean, I said in the the preview that I thought it was going to be a straight choice between Martinelli, you know, in the absence of Aubameyang, it was going to be a straight choice between Martinelli and Smith-Rowe. And if it had been Smith-Rowe, I wouldn't have been unhappy because I thought Martinelli was somebody who, if we needed him, could give us goal threat from the bench. You know, Mm. I know Eddie was on there. He did do that. Yeah. Wow. What a what a run. I'm so gutted when that just went wide. He yeah. just couldn't quite get it out from under his feet to curl it around properly. I mean, what a brilliant run. And it shows you the the talent this this kid has, you know, so it's completely understandable that people want to see more of that. Um, was I unhappy? Look, I didn't expect Pepe to be there, but Pepe played really well. Um, I do feel like we sort of jumped to the worst conclusions about Martinelli. Mm. There's um, a bit of a panic, isn't there, around him? There is, anxiety. like, as if, as if, yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, I, I completely get it. He's he's really exciting, and who doesn't want to watch exciting players? Who doesn't? Who wants to watch Willian instead of Martinelli? Nobody. 
But, you know, so I get it. When you see Willian, it's like, oh, God. And we've got Martinelli. I think next season, Martinelli will well and truly establish himself as a much more frequent starter in the team. Mm-hmm. This season, there have been injuries. There have been other issues going on. I don't think it's a case that Arteta doesn't like Martinelli or anything like that. I, I feel like there's an element of holding him back slightly to let him go. Remember those cars you used to get? Yeah. You'd, yeah. you'd kind of roll them backwards and then they go... I think he's one of those. It's We are quite blessed, I think, with attacking options. I mean, we yeah. do have a lot of players for those front positions. Mm. And, um, you know, there is going to be rotation. Our favourites are going to occasionally miss out. Um not because Saka, obviously, he's going to play every game. Mm. But amongst the others, there will be kind of chopping and changing. I think we have to accept that. Yeah, I think Martin has got a massive future. I mean, you know, we paid, I don't know, whatever it was, five million quid or something like that for Martinelli. Imagine what it would cost us, though, to sign a trio of young players like Martinelli, Smithrow and Saka kind of on the open market Oof. now. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I forget, maybe it was Lewis Ambrose. Somebody was tweeting last night that Smith Rowe and Saka might have kind of effectively saved this club £100 million. Um, it, it, you know, we all the investment in the academy that we've seen from the club mm. begins to pay dividends, doesn't it, when you see talent like that coming through? Yeah, and look, there's there's a, another little generation coming through yeah. beneath them, which is really... Interesting and exciting. I mean, I, I was sort of hoping he might stick uh, Aziz on last night. Yeah. Again, we saw Balogun, though. Yeah, we saw Balogun, and that's that's obviously a very positive sign. Arteta basically confirmed the Balogun contract situation uh, in, his, in his press conference. We're expecting an announcement on that. So that's uh, another really positive one. You know, again, I think there is an element of, you know, with someone like Aziz, who's still quite young, just getting him into the squad for games like this and, and having him travel and do the warm-ups and all of that kind of stuff is is great for them at this age. And, you know, he'll mm. get some playing time and he might get some playing time between now and the end of the season, you know, if and when we make progress in, in the Europa League and we have to start resting, like literally resting some of our best players to make sure they're ready for the for the big cup games. So, you know, there's some really good young players coming through as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, let me ask you this one. Uh, bum, bum, bum. We have a couple here. I'm just trying to find it. Uh, the chief who's at macho uh, underscore grande one says, uh, Arsenal don't have much, if any experience of playing against former managers. Does the highly personal nature Hmm. of this next fixture uh, against Villarreal have any tangible impact do you think well we do have a lot of experience of our manager watching on with a glass of wine former managers so that that might help I, I, I don't know um, does it help I mean, I mean it's not like Arteta played under Emery or worked under Emery so has a kind of intimate knowledge of his mm. style it's not quite the same as you know, there's that slight tendency in Arteta to, to maybe overthink when he faces, you know, Guardiola yeah. or to an extent Moyes. 
Uh, I don't know if that will be quite the same. I did see a little smile flicker across his face when he was talking about our opponent in the next round. I mean, he knows, of course, the significance of it. Yeah. Um, I think for Emery, it's got to be a huge motivating factor. Yeah. Uh, Much more for for Emery and for Villarreal than it is for us. You know, I don't think... I don't think like the the squad of players I don't think they disliked Emery per se. Like I don't think he was a bad guy or they fell out with him too much, no. but certainly some of them stopped playing for him. There's no question about that. So, you know, that might be uh it might have a tangible impact on Emery and you know, him proving himself against a club which fired him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so I, I don't think there's much in it from our perspective, particularly as there aren't going to be fans in the ground. It might have had like a, an impact if there was a full stadium and, you know, former manager coming home, gracious round of applause at the start, and then, you know, you're the enemy, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think it's probably something more that um, that will motivate Emery than, than Arteta. Yeah. I mean, the narrative is going to be out of control. Oh, the game. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it. Like, <laughs> there's going to be all kinds of like pre-game think pieces and interviews, and you know, to be uh, honest, Emery has spoken or did speak quite a lot in his first year about his time at Arsenal and what he felt went wrong and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure he needs to to go over old ground again. Um, but it is no, be- and, and in this competition. <laughs> Mm. With the exception, of course, of that uh, very painful final, he doesn't have a vast amount to prove. You know, he no. this is his competition. Um, he has dominated it. So, well, he won it I, three I, in a row. He lost a final, and I think it's about time he lost a semi final. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, it's um, how do you feel about that tie? Optimistic, confident. Um. We've got history, of course, with nervous semi-finals against Villarreal. Yes, we do, don't we? Think about Champions League, and look, I think it's going to be—I think it's going to be tough. They're a decent side, like you say. Whatever people think of uh, Unai Emery, his record in the Europa League is unmatched. I think that's something that uh, that Arteta said. Uh, hang on, James, just one sec. Someone at the door. Hang on. No problem. I'm back. He's back. I'm back. Oh, what a what a delivery I just got. Amazing. What is it? Filters for the vacuum cleaner. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. I've been like hanging on all week. When are they going to arrive? When are they going to arrive? <laughs> and now they're here. What a day. Are, Arsenal are you happy the semifinals? to carry on with the podcast or do you want to go and play with them straight away? Oh, I'll just, I'll see, I'll see out the rest of the podcast, but you know, I'm not sure my mind. Your mind's not with us anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just the filters, filters. Amazing. Uh, what were you asking me um, about Emery? Confident about yeah, the confident. Look, uh, I am on one hand 
confident and optimistic. I've got that kind of start of the season feeling. Anything could happen. We could go, you know, we could win. We could, we could win the title this year. And then the shocking reality of life and real, uh, real football uh, takes you back down to earth. So I'm on the one hand, I'm optimistic. On the other, I'm cautious and trepidatious. You know, the former manager thing. It's not something we've experienced a great deal. Certainly nope. not in, God, when was the last time? When, George I mean, Graham, George a Graham, Spurs, Spurs manager. manager. Yeah. Did we ever face a Bruce Rioch team after he left? Mm, don't think so. What did he- uh, maybe we faced like a sort of Stuart Houston QPR or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but I don't recall a Bruce Rioch. Just but- looking at his jobs after Arsenal. Queen's Park Rangers assistant manager at Norwich City, Wigan Athletic. And then he was, a great he was in Denmark. Arsenal. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think it is something we've encountered much of. Uh, Freddie Inberg, no. So it'll be interesting, very interesting. Mm. He'll do his homework, no doubt. I'll tell you one thing I've just spotted. He's got a dossier on Ainsley Maitland now, as remember. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is, guys, you've got to remember, he knows everything. He even knows where our tunnel area is. So, well, and he was given a fucking guided tour by that fucking Dick Gazidis, wasn't he? You know. Um, I haven't spotted this, though. So the first leg is in Spain in a couple of weeks' time. Mm-hmm. But the previous preceding weekend in the Premier League, we actually play Everton on the Friday night. So we have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday clear in the run-up to the first leg, which oh, that, is very That unusual. is useful. Yeah, that is useful. What are their... Um, let's have a look at their fixtures. Yeah. Uh, VRAL fixtures and see what they've got coming up. Um, first game is on the 29th. Ooh, blimey. They're, they're playing Barcelona on the Ooh, Sunday okay. before our game. So 25th. Emery will rest everybody. Yeah. And then they've got uh, Hetafe between the two legs. We go to Newcastle between the two legs for a fixture which will presumably be on the Sunday, but it's not yet been set. Mm. Yeah, you imagine it'll be on the Sunday. Go easy on us, Joe Willock. Go easy. I don't know if he can play, actually. Of course he can. Um, isn't that isn't that part of it now that you can play against your team? I don't know. Don't know. I think that's used to be the rule that you couldn't, but maybe they yeah. changed it. Um, should we find out? It feels like it's going to annoy the listener if we don't. Yeah, I think they can. Can loan players <laughs> play against parent club? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Fine. Yes. Sorry, everyone. I was living in a different time. A simpler time. Um, what about this question? What about it? I think it's interesting. Okay. DJ Nolan on the Discord. Have the last two games proven Shaka is no longer needed as first choice midfielder? The ball seems to move quicker without him there and we seem more physical. That is a good question, isn't it? 
Yeah, it hadn't occurred to me. I suppose the thing I would say, though, is that for... In he's, general, what he's doing that different. Yeah, exactly. Like, he is playing, his starting position is deeper, obviously, and he's not getting forward quite as much. But as I said uh, uh, against, against Sheffield United, he does have the, you know, he's playing in that kind of interior left-hand channel in our half. So what he's doing is not that different from what he normally does. He's just doing it deeper. But yeah, it the, is a the good positive question. attributes he brings to our game mm. are sort of the same at this point. You know, he's bringing that passing outlet. But it is an interesting question. It is an interesting question. I, I think the answer is kind of maybe, but you would still have to replace that passing ability out from the back. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, 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 as you as you mentioned in part one, I wrote about this, but I, I think Arsenal without Granite Xhaka or David Luiz do struggle in build-up. And, and part of the advantage of having Xhaka in at the back, I think, is the moment that Luiz isn't there and it's such a natural outlet for us. But when you take them both out, mm. I mean, we all remember the Liverpool game, but I think it can get pretty ugly. But 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 there is this kind of weird paradox of being very reliant on these players who we all accept are kind of inherently flawed. Yeah. I mean, who made the most passes for Arsenal last night? I don't know. I'm going to guess Granit Xhaka. Correct. Yeah. Like 57 he- passes. Next was holding on 46. And Partey and uh, Danny Ceballos in the centre of midfield with 30 and 35 respectively. So mm-hmm. even, even at left back, Xhaka is still a key part of our possession. Yeah. He's, he's driving the car, as, mm. as Clive Palmer would put it. But it, yeah, wherever he plays, he's hugely important. And, and also, I think it's sort of important to get this right, which is that I don't think Granit Xhaka's a bad player. I know a lot of people do think that, but I don't. I think he's, just, I think he, 90% of the time, he's a pretty good player. And I think he's a... I think he's performed really well recently since his last, you know, big fuck up. And then we wait for the next one to come. But I, I do, I, you know, he's, he's, he's at an age and at a point in his contract where, you know, there, there has to be a discussion. There has to be a conversation about what we're doing with him moving forward and, and what his role in proceedings is. Yet at the same time, this Arsenal team do not quite look ready to kind of... Um, be without him it's, mm. it's a weird one it's it a complicated is one. yeah I mean look he's a contract till 2023 as does Bernd Leno what did you make of Bernd Leno's quotes about I was a bit surprised by those yeah so was I so was maybe I. though he's looking at our league position and thinking yeah I want to play Champions League I can or... probably do better than this I mean maybe he can I, I, personally I think he probably could play certainly play for a club who regularly qualify for European competition somewhere um Used to maybe he thinks he has to do that to further his international ambitions. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. He could be in the Champions League next season. He could Arsenal. be. Then everything's hunky-dory again, isn't it? Uh, I did like this question from... Uh, bum, 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 uh, Yazad Dotivala, who's at Yazad underscore D. Apologies for butchering your name there. Uh, he said, Goodly morning, gents. Should Granit Xhaka be given the armband in the semi-final to wind up Unai Emery? 
<laughs> yes. I agree. Actually. Yes, do it. Do it, do it. I think Shaka uh, should be counted. And, and uh, to be honest, I think we should probably bring back Ozil just for one game and <laughs> just loan him from Fenerbahce just to play him, <laughs> just to infuriate Emery. Um, what about JG? JM Green says, is Shaka a better player without a crowd? Seems to be more focused and less nervous error prone, especially since the first lockdown. Um, he's been more consistent and effective this season. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's the same player. I do think he's the same player. With a crowd and without a crowd. The <laughs> did you watch that? <laughs> did you watch that uh, uh, open mic video? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was quite funny. Um, I like that. Um, Rob Holding is called Bobby. Yeah. Bukayo Saka is called B. B. Yeah. B. And Pepe is Pepe. Pepe. <laughs> Pepe. Run, Pepe. And even last night, he there was one you could hear him go, Pepe, go, 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 Pepe. Yeah, um, there was. But there was an there was another moment in that where someone had the ball and he just went, shoot! And I was thinking, <laughs> this is so funny. Shaka shouting that at somebody when people used to shout that at Shaka yeah, all that's the time very with those grounds. They are useful, those videos. That you do pick up little bits and pieces. I mean, there was the thing about, I think he said, lacquer, pick one at one point, which was clearly about kind of the press and, you mm. know, the need to kind of... And there was another one about... Um, Oh, there was a great thing about Ceballos where he said, I don't want you here. He basically said, I don't want you coming right on top of me, which is in Ceballos' tendency yeah, yeah, to yeah. collapse onto yeah. the fence. He was like, I don't want you here. I want you out there. Yeah. Um, so they are interesting. Um, for the crowds thing, I know what you mean. He's the same player, but he is an emotional player. I would say that, and I think we have seen. But, well, I mean, crowds. he wouldn't have done what he did against Crystal Palace with no fans. It, well, <laughs> I, and and the other thing to say is he kind of made his comeback really in an environment without fans, and maybe supporters wouldn't have been as welcoming or. Forgiving. I don't think that's true. I think he made his comeback pretty quickly under Mikel Arteta when he took over, and that was December, and we got through to to March. So there was a good couple of months where he was in no, the team with fans there, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's helped him. I don't know. I just think, I wonder if like, he is a, he is a hot-headed guy and I wonder if taking yeah, the maybe. emotion, some of the added emotion out of the game might help him. Um, I, it's a real, do you know what? It's, I, I really struggle to sort of resolve how I feel about Granit Xhaka because there is really a lot like in, in that video there's a lot I really like about him as a character and as a player but I also accept well I think we just know who he is at this point don't mm. we maybe that's it we just know who he is for good for bad for better and for worse yeah that's true I mean I looked at him and I looked at him in that video and I sort of looked at him last night in certain aspects of his game where, you know, there was a throw late in the first half and he really took his sweet time overtaking that throw because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, things like that. And I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind a guy like Jackie in my team if I was playing in the team, you know. No, and, with, I, with and I think the players, I think the players do really respect him. Yeah. And I think they, they, they really appreciate That him, is something you hear a lot, isn't it? You know, even if fans yeah. have frustrations with him and some of the things that have happened with him, the players really do like him. I mean, he was voted captain 
Yeah. When Emery couldn't fucking make up his mind about who to make captain, you know, the players had a vote and he was he was the guy, you know, and that includes some other very senior players in there as well. So it does say something about him. So, look, hopefully uh, he, can, he can keep going until the end of the season because his recent form is, you know, bar that Burnley thing, has been... Has been pretty good. Um, okay, final question from today from Chris Hammond, who's at Gooerson. He says, you often say, coming up in part two, your questions and more. What is the, what is the more? Well, wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you what? like to know? Well, I don't know what you mean, because we always do, you know, we do the questions, but we also do a lot of bullshit around the questions. That's exactly you know? it. The more is bullshit. It's just absolute waffle. There, you know, there's the sort of long, lingering, awkward goodbye. Mm. There's, you know, there's there's the music at the end. There's maybe, depending on where you're listening, there might be an advert. There's, there's loads of stuff. There's incidental music when somebody comes to the door and I have to go and answer and I have what to play the door answering music. That was for yeah. everybody. Sometimes you, we pay people just to come to the door. Do you know what, though, James? I was standing there this morning at the at the uh, in the kitchen. I was making breakfast, cooking yeah. s- sausages, and Lovely. I thought to myself, "It has been a long time since I got to use the door answering music." And mm. lo and behold, this morning somebody called to the door in the Hands middle of the answered. podcast. It's, it's, a, a, it's a glitch idea, the in the way. matrix, clearly. Oh, what? I'll come back to that. But I've got a great idea for your door. What? <clears throat> Did you, have you ever considered getting one of those sort of uh, customizable doorbells and setting the doorbell music to be your doorbell? It's a bit long, you know, every time somebody, <laughs> if somebody rang the It would the just save you a lot of time in post. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a sound quality issue, though, James. You know, I need the, right. need the sound quality rather than just have it going yeah. off in the background. What was the other thing you were talking about? I was going to say, did you see Jamie O'Hara's tweet? Uh, the one about how there was no way Arsenal were going to win the game. Yeah. 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 Did he I follow it that. up with anything? Uh, Maybe I he, don't know. I don't think he did actually. He may have deleted it. I'm just looking back now. Right? Did he? Did he keep it up there? I tell Jamie you what. O'Hara, no, he's kept it up. Fair kept, play. Well, fair play. I tell you what. We'll do for Jamie O'Hara. We'll send him a good tin of Dulux paint. How about that? He'd love that, wouldn't he? <laughs> he would. Yeah. I think they. All really all Tottenham fans love Dulux paint because you know the way they represent the brand. The badge of Tottenham, I mean, it's it's impeccable. The I think they've approach. shown a real inherent understanding of what Tottenham means and represents, mm. Dulux. No, it's not always a brand gets a club completely, but Dulux really I did. I mean, did, did they not just miss a complete trick by failing to use Matt Doherty to <laughs> launch the paint? Very good point. Very good point. Um, anyway... Uh, okay. I think that's probably taken the gloss off this entire podcast, so we'll leave it there. I think we'll leave it there. We- <laughs> was the gloss a deliberate pun there? If so, I applaud Of it. course it was. Jesus. Wow, Jesus. that was so smooth. Thanks as very smooth much. smooth silk finish paint. That's a different type of paint. <laughs> Are we sponsored by Dulux? No. D- no. Duck egg. Eggshell, that's what I meant. <laughs> Magnolia, whatever. Is there real eggshell in eggshell paint? I mean, not all eggshells are... <laughs> 
the colour of eggshell paint, are they? No, but eggshell paint is a texture. Duck egg is a colour. Eggshell is like when you paint it on the wall, you tap it with your fingernail and it makes a noise like an eggshell. Ah, and all this yellow goo comes out. I like it. Yeah, you can crack your walls <laughs> and scramble the inside. Yes. Um, I think we've, uh, we've taken this This is the, and more. They wanted and more. This is what you get if you ask for and more. That's it. And now they're wanting much less than the more. Much I less know. of the more, if you don't mind. Okay, look, we've got Fulham on Sunday. We'll be interesting to see what kind of team uh, Mikel Arteta picks for that one. We will preview that game for Patreon members tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, you can sign up if you like, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. James and I will be here on Monday to talk about whatever happens against Fulham on Sunday. So until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.